This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. A lot of times we don't know what people have gone through in life, and when I hear stories like Doors, I I really applaud everybody but single moms who've stayed with it, and so she made a statement in there that she had to fight. You know, we're, we're called as Christians to fight the good fight of faith, so wherever you're at right now, fight the good fight of faith, okay? God will bless you and just stay with it. Well, I welcome all of you. If you're watching by live stream, we welcome you. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll be in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, and then we will move back into the New Testament, and I have about a jillion scriptures today, seriously, so we're going to have to make some headway. One thing I want you to do as we get ready to begin here, you know, I, I... hear the song just to open up my heart, open up my heart. So I, I welcome you to open up your heart to God today, to the scriptures. Uh, if you're in here, you're old enough to hear what's going to be said, and there'll be some things that will be said today that may be a little bit alarming to you, but it's Bible. And so again, if we're not preaching it in the church, where are we hearing it from? So we start in 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 6. And the Apostle Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, Your glorying is not good. Your your boasting is not good. And what he's talking about is your boasting over your tolerance of sin is inappropriate. Now, he was talking to the church. If you read that in the Amplified, it will tell you that. So he goes on to say, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little, a little compromise here, a little step there, a little uh, uh, view here can compromise my, my life or my actions that God wants me to walk in. And so he talks about this, the corrupting power of just a little bit. Verse 7, therefore purge out, cleanse, get rid of the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Remove every area of compromise. Why? So you can become a new lump, that you can become the new creation that Jesus, uh, he died for you to be. But also this, that I, I begin to walk in the identity that I have that Jesus died for me to live in. And he goes on to end this verse, and he says that you are truly unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us because of the blood of Jesus. Christ becomes my Passover, and I'm going to hit this at the end of the service, but just keep these thoughts here because you're going to see throughout this morning just how a little bit of leaven has the ability to permeate the entire lump, every bit of it. So what's passed down? Go to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who practice evil will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, do not be misled. Don't be deceived. Don't don't trick yourself in thinking you're exempt from this. Neither fornicators, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. They won't qualify to be in God's kingdom. Now, as I read that list, do any of those describe me? Do any of those resemble my lifestyle right now? Verse number 11. And such were some of you. And when it says such were some of you, was this experience of your life, was this your lifestyle? And and some of these, this is who you were. This was your identity. Now, I can go through that list, and there's a few of those that I can check, okay? That was who I used to be. But he goes on to say, but you were washed. You you were washed from sin. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were declared holy. You, You were justified. You were put in right standing with God. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I was put in this position. So when I begin to look at that, and one of the reasons I read that is because this was maybe who I used to be, but this is who I can be now. Now, I highlight again, just a little leaven has the ability to to permeate the entire lump. Go with me way, way back to the first part of the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. Now, as you're turning to Leviticus 19, one of our main scripture texts is Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, and it says that we are to repent of the iniquities of our fathers to the third and the fourth generation. So one day I'm studying this word iniquity, and what iniquity is, is iniquity that has been passed down from generation to generation, from our grandfathers to our fathers to us. And so as I'm reading that, I find this this little phrase that talked about generational iniquities, and I'm going to read this to you, and you'll see what it is. Exodus 19, verse 31. Give no regard, don't open the door or give place to mediums, which have to do with witchcraft, and familiar spirits. So the the word iniquity would tie into familiar spirits. So what was the meaning of a familiar spirit? Or better yet, what is the familiar spirit? A familiar spirit would be a demonic entity, a fallen angel that has closely followed your bloodline. They are familiar spirits, and they're familiar with what's handed down from you and me from generation to generation. So he says, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled. And so that word defiled means they have the ability to make you unclean, to pollute your lifestyle. And he ends this and says here, that I am the Lord your God. So I, I begin to look at this as the familiar spirit. So it shows me there's some form of a genetic component that's even handed down to us spiritually. Now, when I get around the, the, the man Kelly Castleman, I remember him saying this to me specifically, that he said for every one of us, 
there's these little bitty demons, and he said, they're not big in size at all, but he said, what they do day after day after day is they record all your actions and your behaviors. In other words, they're very familiar with us. And so their desire is for any way to get into your life, any little crack. That's why in Ephesians 4 it says, don't give place to the devil. So I begin to think about this. Okay, how does this look with familiar spirits? Turn with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now we're going to be in 2 Samuel a bunch. If you are a note taker, get ready. There's going to be a bunch of these that I want you to see biblically. So as we go to 2 Samuel, we start here in chapter 11. And it's about a man named David. King David. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. So as I begin to study King David's life, King David had numerous wives, plural, and he had a lot of concubines. And the definition that I can best give you of a concubine is these were women that lived under his roof, but he wasn't married to. Now, when I study this about King David, numerous wives and numerous concubines, I have the thought, did he have some stronghold in his life with women? Well, keep reading here with me as we begin. 2 Samuel verse 11, verse 1. Now, it happened in the springs of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now, if I read this correctly, it says the spring was the time of the years when kings went out to battle. But it said that David remained in Jerusalem. So you know what that tells me? David wasn't where he was supposed to be. So did David, did he abandon his purpose? Did he abandon his mission? And, and when I don't obey what I'm supposed to be doing in my life, I quit guarding my heart. And when I quit guarding my heart, I become vulnerable to sin or weaknesses in my life. Ooh. Verse 2. Then it happened one evening... That David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now if David would have been where he was supposed to be, he would have never been in this predicament. But because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, something begins to take place. And the something is that one little word, saw. He saw. He, he looked. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. And so when he saw, it opened the door to something. Now remember, a little leaven has the ability to leaven the whole lump. Just a little. Just a little compromise. And so in his life, I, I don't believe he ever really fully thought what that one glance, that one look could do. 
And so to me, it shows the slippery slope of sin. So when he looks at her, this word Saul takes us to the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, he said, a man who looks upon a woman in lust, a lustful way or lust for her has already committed sin in his heart. Now, I don't need to show a hands in here. But what he gets over on is the fantasies of our mind. One of the greatest weaknesses of the male. Of the male. I'm not exempt from this either. In Job chapter 31, verse 1, Job said this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to lust over a young woman. I made a covenant with my eyes. So when I begin to look at this, I think, okay, David yielded to this area in his life. Now, what I want you to see is the progression of sin that begins to take place. Verse 3 so David sent and he inquired. One step right after another. He saw, he sent, and he inquired. You know what I found out as a human being, as a man? If I get too close to the opportunity to sin, I'm probably going to sin. And as born-again believers... I'm not called to flirt with sin. I'm called to flee from sin. And so he didn't flee. He didn't do it. And so he sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba? Is this not Bathsheba? Now, when I study this area about Bathsheba here, it says that she may have been rash in bathing where she might be seen. So I look at this and I think it's obvious David wasn't where he was supposed to be, but was Bathsheba where she wasn't supposed to be? So the question is with Bathsheba, what was her motive on bathing on that roof? Now I had the honor to, to, to speak on these areas one time. And I said to a young, bunch of young girls, I said, you got to be careful with what you wear. And one of them said, well, is it wrong for me to wear this? And you know what the answer was? What's your motive for wearing that? Is your motive to cause young men or any type of man to look at you? Because if that's your motive, you're in an area just like David was. It's not good. And so I'm with Shelly the other night, and, and these four young girls come walking out, and she says, don't even look over there. And I said, why? And, and the reason was this one girl had half her rumpus. What's a rumpus? <laughs> half of the moon to help you, okay? Just showing. And so again, it's not a mystery that when you walk out in the public to do that, God's going to hold you just as accountable. If your goal is to get them to look, if your goal is to get them to look, they're going to look. Now again, I warned you, if you're old enough to be in here, you're old enough to hear this, okay? So he says, Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so with that word wife in there, now we throw it into a whole other category. He's looking at a married woman. This is adultery 101. Woo. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and she lay with him. So when you begin to read this, it all started out small. Just one look, just one little insignificant look. But just a little leaven has the ability to leaven the whole lump. And so you begin to see the snowball effect with sin right here, even with him. So when I look at this and I begin to read this, the harvest of the consequences is beyond measure. The harvest of the consequences, in other words, what I reap is, is far beyond what I even sow. So paraphrasing a little bit here for you. King David goes almost a year. God dealing with his heart. God dealing with his heart to repent. And he wouldn't repent. And so God loves David enough. He sends a prophet named Nathan to him. And Nathan begins to confront David about his sin. Now here's an interesting thought. In our society right now, especially within the church, if you confront someone on their sin, you know what they'll say? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, Thank God Nathan went and confronted him because when he confronts him and he tells him the story of what took place, King David goes, I've sinned. I've missed it. I've sinned. And after he said, I've sinned, Nathan says, well, I got some good news and bad news for you. The good news is you're not going to die. That's how severe it was. You're not going to die. That's the good news. What's the bad news? Look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. This was one of the things he harvested off the consequences of his sin. The sword will never leave your house. Three of his sons died by the sword. And look what he says here. Because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So when I look at this, God didn't blow it off as little thing. God said, you've despised me. Do I look at sin that way? I, I, I don't want to despise God. That was the first thing. Verse 11 Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. That took place from a son named Absalom. And look how he ends this and he says, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Oh, happy day. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the Son. So guess what he's telling us here? God will forgive me, but there's still going to be consequences for my actions. So when I begin to read this, I looked and I thought, did what King David do? Did it release familiar spirits 
and to his children. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 13. Just another book. Now I got to paraphrase a little bit here because these are long stories. But what you're going to begin to see is how the familiar spirits begin to work in his bloodline. So again, David had numerous wives, numerous children. His oldest son was a son named Amnon. Amnon thinks he's in love with a half-sister named Tamar. The Bible's got some crazy stories. But he's really not in love with her. He lusts her. Now, there's a huge difference between love and lust. Love says, I'm in for life. Lust says, I'll take what I can get, and then I'm done. So he's in love, he thinks, with this young girl named Tamar, and he's got a cousin, and he says, here's how you get Tamar. Pretend that you're sick, and when your dad comes around and asks you what he can do, say, send my half-sister Tamar over here, and let her fix a meal for her, and let her tend to me. So this is what happens. 2 Samuel 13, verse 11. Now, when she had brought them to him to eat, Tamar did this, he took hold of her and he said to her, this, this is crazy, come lie with me, my sister. This isn't as the world turns, okay? This is B-I-B-L-A. <laughs> Verse 12. But she answered him and said, no, my brother, do not force me. Do not violate me. For no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Disgraceful. And I, where could I take my shame? How could I show my face in public? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. You would be one of the greatest fools in all of Israel. Now, therefore, please speak for the, to the king, for he shall not withhold me from you. And she's talking about in marriage. Verse 14. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Just a little leaven has the ability to leaven the whole lump. And I begin to think, was this a familiar sin? I mean, a familiar spirit? Because daddy had problems with women. And now the oldest son, Amnon, has problems. So this girl named Tamar, she's got a brother named Absalom. And Absalom finds out what he did to his sister. And so he, he stakes him out day after day after day after day. And finally, Absalom gets the opportunity and he kills Amnon. And this was just the beginning of Absalom's destruction. And Absalom begins to think, I'm better than my own father. I'm going to become the king. Now, look with me in 2 Samuel 16, because you're going to see what begins to happen with Absalom. 2 Samuel 16, verse 21. Then Ahithophel, he said to Absalom, 
Go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house and all Israel will hear that you are bored or insulted by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the roof. Now if I go back to 2 Samuel 11, when David saw Bathsheba bathing, wasn't that on top of the roof? And so they pitch all these tents on top of the house and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. So literally this fulfills the prophecy that Nathan said in in 2 Samuel 12 verses 11 and 12. His own son in public sight is with all his concubines. And so I see another son. Daddy had a problem with women. Amnon had a problem. And Absalom had a problem. Now we know through the scriptures that the child that Bathsheba was pregnant with, he dies. But not long after that, she gets pregnant and has a son named Solomon. Solomon becomes the king. Now you got to go with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. I told you I'm going to have you all over the Bible today. 1 Kings chapter 11. And we pick up with this son named Solomon. 1 Kings 11 verse 1. But Solomon loved many foreign women. If you catch the wording there, it said many foreign women. As well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, when I read these women's, look at every one of them because it's all in plural. The women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. He got a problem with the ites. The Dallasites, the Houstonites, the Midlandites. He's got a problem. The dude's got problems. I mean, every time I read this, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so when I read this, if we were to get the weekly National Enquirer, you know whose face would be on that? Solomon. Every week, here I am. Verse 2. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, because they will turn away your hearts after their God. And so Solomon clung to these in love. You must not marry them. I can't ignore God's commands. And so Solomon, he thinks he can override what God's word says and there not be an impact on his life. I don't care who you are. You violate this, it's going to get you in trouble. Verse 3. And he had 700 wives. Let me say that again for you. That's seven, zero, zero. 700. I wonder if he knows every one of them by their first name. Who's number 252? Where are you at? So this is how my, my mind begins to work. I begin to think, okay. If I've got 700 wives 
And I get married every Friday. I did the math. It's over 13 years. What are you going to do this Friday? I'm going to get married. What are you going to do next Friday? I'm going to get married. What are you going to do that? I'm going to get married. If you do it this way, 700 wives, and you get married every day, that's two years. Now, John just got married, so it'd be like me looking at John and say, John, what are you going to do tomorrow? I'm going to get married. What are you going to do on Tuesday? I'm going to get married. What are you going to do Friday? I'm going to get married. What are you going to do next week? I'm going to get married. What are you going to do at Christmas? I'm going to get married. So you begin to read in this. This guy's got some problems. But that wasn't it. Keep reading here with me. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. I cannot compromise in this area. This became the destructive connections. And so I begin to see Amnon, Absalom, Solomon, every one of them. And I thought, this is how the familiar spirits begin to work. Now, I use this as an illustration. It may not be sexual sin with you. It may be other areas, but the devil understands weaknesses. He does not attack my strengths. He attacks my weaknesses. That's why it says, for young ones, flee youthful lust. Because if you don't ever open the door as a young, you never have to close it. But if you open the door when you're young, you'll have to battle it the rest of your life. How do you know that, Pastor? Before I knew Jesus, this was a mark on my life. And so this day, when people may ask me, have you ever seen that movie? I said, nope, I've never seen that movie. Have you ever seen this TV show? No, I hadn't seen that TV show. Do you not like movies and TV? No, I like the, to, to please my wife and to please God. And so I understand this completely, that when I see something on the TV screen or the movie screen, it has the ability within me to mess with my eyes. And I saw the Lord Jesus set me free to this area, so the last thing I want to do is open the door back up to that. So now I've got to walk this line. Pastor, you're preaching really good. Now I'm getting ready to dive into something here to help you. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, the apostle Paul, he said this, there is no sin that affects mankind like sexual sin. You sin against your own body. So our society, we have this thought that, that, that sex is nothing but a physical act. Well, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, man is spirit, soul, and body. That is true. That is a third of you, but there's still a heart and a soul. So anytime I have a sexual encounter with anybody, I give them part of my soul and I give them part of my heart, whether you wanted to or not. But in return, they gave you part of their heart and part of their soul. And so if they gave you part of their soul or their heart or their soul, 
is something embedded within me that I don't like. So I'm reading this article the other day on these lines, and it says, a person that has out-of-the-ordinary thoughts or bizarre or destructive thoughts, this could be a result of that. But then it really dove in and it said, sometimes within people that have depression, anxiety, panic attacks, mood swings, or even erratic behaviors, this can be a direct result of something you've got from someone that you really didn't want. Hebrews 13.4 says, marriage is honorable before God. Marriage is honorable before God. God instituted the marriage covenant, and then God said the marriage bed is undefiled. So my paraphrased edition of that is, if you want to have sex, get married. Brilliant, Pastor. Brilliant. No, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And so when you look at the heart of God, God's desire is to always restore things that have been lost. God's desire has always been to repair the broken things. And so the way I must do that, I go before God and I repent of my sin. I acknowledge to God, repentance is mandatory. And I tell God, I'm sorry that I did this and I did this and I did this. Father God, forgive me of the sins of my mind. Forgive me of the sins of my heart. Forgive me of the sins of my eyes, the, the sins of my emotions. If you're a good note taker, write this one down. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who confesses his sin and forsakes him. And forsakes him. Father God, I repent of my sin and I ask you to grace me to forsake them. Here's a great prayer for you. Father God, grace me to love what you love and grace me to hate what you hate. And God, the only thing God hates is sin because he knows what it does. And so when you begin to look at these things, are there familiar spirits in your life? Are there familiar spirits in your bloodline that you begin to look and say, he, he gravitates this way, he gravitates this way. See, oftentimes we see this in the area of disease. And, and in the first service, Rick Sosato uh, was telling me about a family he knew. Five of them all died of cancer, every one of them. See, we, we get physical stuff. We get those things that they're handed down genetically to you, but even spiritually. And so I said earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he said, he's washed you, he's cleaned you up, he's sanctified you, he's set you apart, he's justified you, he's declared you as righteous or accepted you. But again, in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he said, Christ is our Passover. Well, what's the Passover about? Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes me white as snow. Oh, the blood of Jesus. See, the blood of Jesus says, I'm the God of a second chance. I'm the God that takes miracle or messes and makes his miracles. I'm the God, when, when you come under the blood of the Jesus, he said in Revelations 12, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. 
Wash me in the blood. Wash me in the blood. Would you stand up today? Woo. Powerful, huh? Powerful. Not easy. Again, it's one of those Sundays I didn't wake up this morning and thought, oh boy, I can't wait to get a preach on this one. But you know what I will tell you? It's the Bible. And it's the truth that we need to hear. And it's the truth our teenagers need to hear. Because if they're not hearing it in church, where do you think they are hearing it? And so we, we ought to celebrate this. And not only celebrate it, I encourage you to say, you know what? My, my kids, they're not going to fall under the familiar spirits. They're not going to walk in that junk. That I, I love God and they're going to love God. So I want you to bow your head right there where you're at. And again, I, I want you to shift gears just a little bit. That the illustration I used was sexual sin. And one of the reasons I used it is because we got a problem with that in our society. But I know there's a lot of different areas. So again, we said, open up my heart, Lord. Open up my heart today. Maybe God's moving in your heart today and it may be you that you say, that's me, that's me. And you may say, you know what, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come to the altar, I'm, I'm gonna bring my wife, I'm gonna bring my kids. And in the first service, I'm not gonna tell you who it was, but we had a daddy and I know his history. And he brought his, his son down here and he said, I don't want him to go through this. I don't want this. And so again, and Lord, we're confessing today. We're asking you to grace us, to forsake it. But we say today, Lord, wash us. Wash us. Cleanse us. Move us where the little lump that we give is the lump of blessing. And so as they sing here today, man, I welcome you down here. My goal is never to throw stones at people. But again, we must respond to the Spirit of God today. So go ahead, guys. Let's sing. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.